Welcome to the MPFFU Podcast. The intent and purpose of the MPFFU Podcast is to support the mission to improve wages, working hours, and working conditions for its members. This podcast will disseminate evidence-based relevant information, resources, and strategies. To accomplish this, the MPFFU Podcast will provide reliable, factual, and actionable information that strengthens, empowers, and supports the MPFFU members and locals through United Action. Now our host, Jeff Lassers. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the MPFFU Podcast. I'm Jeff Lassers, and I've been a firefighter paramedic with the West Bloomfield Township Fire Department, Local 1721, since 2004. Today is September 5, 2023, Labor Day. In honor of the holiday, we have a very special episode for you. In this episode, MPFFU President Matt Saar and I sit down with Ed Kelly, the General President of the International Association of Firefighters. Ed, Edzo Kelly, has been a Boston firefighter, or Jake, for over 25 years. Shout out to Lata 17 on the south end of Boston. As the General President, Ed and his team play a crucial role in shaping the future of the fire service advocating for the well-being of firefighters and leading one of the most influential labor unions in North America and beyond. A few weeks ago, Matt and I had the pleasure of attending the John P. Redmond Health and Safety Symposium in New York City. The Redmond Symposium is an annual IAFF-sponsored multi-day event where members can gather to prevent future line-of-duty deaths, whether by fire, cancer, workplace violence, or suicide. The IAFF put on an incredible event that showcased amazing speakers, content, and resources that are available to IAFF members. This was the first time that I had the opportunity to attend the Redmond Health and Safety Symposium, and I highly recommend that you go if you get the chance. Even though President Kelly was tremendously busy during the week of the symposium, he still found time to sit down with us to record an episode. We are so grateful for his time, and he was an absolute pleasure to hang out with. The dude is legit. He's a solid guy, super nice, sharp-witted, and always ready to fire away with a great one-liner. When you sit down and have a conversation with the man, you can tell the fire service is deep in his blood. In this episode, President Kelly weighs in on many issues currently faced by the fire service, including staffing, recruitment, and retention, PFOS, and the future of bunker gear. Ed also describes why MPFFU members should show up for the rally in Lansing on September 14, 2023. Scan the QR code or check out the link in the episode description for more details about the rally. This is a relatively brief episode that gets right to the point. Ed was amazing to interview and it was truly an honor. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording and editing it. Before we get into the episode, I just want to say a few things about Labor Day. Today is a holiday that honors and celebrates the American labor movement and the contributions that workers have made to the well-being and prosperity of our great country. Labor Day serves as a reminder of the sacrifices and struggles that led to the worker rights that we often take for granted, such as minimum wage and workplace safety standards. Today is a day to acknowledge not just the achievements of the past, but also the ongoing challenges that modern workers face. Ultimately, it's a day to celebrate the dignity of work and to appreciate the role that all types of work, from blue-collar jobs to white-collar professions, play in shaping our great nation. As union members, we are particularly fond of Labor Day because it serves as a dedicated moment to honor the collective achievements and sacrifices made by laborers in fighting for better working conditions, fair wages, and benefits. 
The right to collective bargaining, safer workplaces, and benefits like health care, retirement funds, and paid leave are hard-won victories that have been achieved in a large part due to the efforts of unions. Labor Day is, in essence, a validation of the principles that unions stand for, solidarity amongst workers, the dignity of labor, and the importance of fighting for workers' rights. For union members, the holiday is not just a long weekend or end-of-summer celebration. It's an opportunity to reflect on past accomplishments and recommit to ongoing struggles. It serves as a vivid reminder that many of the workplace protections and benefits enjoyed today are the result of years of organizing, negotiation, and sometimes even rallying to move the political needle. In summary, for union members, Labor Day represents the epitome of what they work for year-round. A fair, just, and safe work environment for all. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Sir, we know who you are, but let everybody know who you are, what you do, and where you do it. Well, I'm proud to be serving as the general president of the IAFF, representing 339,000 of my brothers and sisters across North America and beyond. But first and foremost, back home, I'm a Boston, what we call a Jake. On the job in Boston, I've been since 1997, assigned to Ladder 17 in South End. Father of two kids, and I have a wife that tolerates me, luckily. Right on. Yeah. Same here on that end. Yeah. All the other oh. stuff, I don't do any of that. <laughs> First of all, GP, thanks for being here. Addy, thanks for having yeah. me, brother. We appreciate you. It's a busy schedule. He's coming in here right before general session, and that's a big deal for us on our MPFFU. And again, thank you and for all your team able to accommodate us here in the beautiful city of New York. So we appreciate that. The first thing we want to talk about is we were able to get you our issues book last night. Right, which is, and, you guys did a good job with this book. Uh, we appreciate it. We are, our uh, political education committee did a, a lot of work. Scott Bills, our DVP, they did a ton of work in regards to that. But was there one in particular issue when you were able to review it? What jumps out to me, and, and it, it doesn't surprise me the way the politics went after the market crash in 2008 and the way public employees were attacked, and in particular Michigan, where they you know, viciously eviscerated the benefits and pay and, and the pensions and attacked health care and retiree health care. I always say the most important thing we bring to a fire isn't water, it's not ladders, it's people, it's staffing. And what jumps out to me is your second page says it all. You know, you guys have half the staffing of the states around you, which, you know, quite frankly, you go down the street here, someone pulled an alarm in this hotel right now, the engine that showed up would have five firefighters, an officer and four, and the trucks would have an officer and five. Yep. Maybe six. And I know, I'm sure that, you know, if we went into Flint or uh, <laughs> one of your yep. flagship cities, they're not going out the door with four or five, six people on a rig. And at the end of the day, like, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. People will probably think this was scripted or something because that, what you're talking about is our biggest issue coming up. It's in regards to September 14th. We're actually having a rally in regards to uh, making staffing a mandatory subject. We have something in Michigan called the Public Employee Relations Act. And back in the former administrations, we lost the ability to have staffing as a mandatory subject of bargaining. So House Bill 4688 by Rep. Hodzma is introduced. So now we're going to be having a rally in regards to getting that back as a mandatory subject. So we're hoping to get that passed. And, you know, on September 14th, that's one of the issues we're talking about. And you hit on some of the other ones, talking about our health care, Public Act 152, when they decided to tell us that this is how you, what you're going to get. You're going to get 80-20, you're going to get opt-out or you're going to have to pay hard cap on it, which is they set a limit 
for what your health care can be. And it's devastated some of our locals over those years, just like you mentioned. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on there. Let me back up a bit, though, because I always say our mission starts in front of a church, not because it's a good one-liner. It helps keep me focused on what this whole union's all about. All unions are about getting paid. All unions are about making sure you have, a, hopefully, a pension and access to decent health care. But none of that matters for us if we're getting killed needlessly. The number one way we can get killed needlessly, in my opinion, on a fire ground when we go out the door is when we don't have enough people. If on September 14th you're having a rally, if you're a Michigan firefighter and you're not there, you don't want to be that guy that's hanging out the third floor window when there's two guys trying to throw a 40-foot ladder. If you've ever tried to throw a 40-footer with two people, it's a fight. You know, I don't know if you guys carry 50s. We carry 50s. It's a tall order. And that's the difference between going out the door one and two in some places, one and one. And I say one because the officer was in the front seat. And how many firefighters you got in the back. And if you're not at that rally, you need your head examined. You owe more to your family to fight harder to make sure you don't die needlessly. When it comes to us working safe, politics is the only path to us getting funded so we can work safe. And that puts you at the bargaining table where you have a voice, where you can make it a priority in how the city spends money. For time and eternal, we've been the stepchildren of city budgets. And unless we have a voice and we can get up and fight over it, we always take a back seat. And if we can get a law enacted that forces that to be an issue that we can articulate at the table, that's where you need to be. That's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. One of our biggest issues is our recruitment and retention. In Michigan, we put up per caps dollars to go after finding new firefighters and paramedics. One of the issues that we've been dealing with that actually we got help out of your office, and when I called you, you got right with us immediately, was getting the Michigan-only paramedic license, trying to push that forward. Right now, that's Senate Bill 249 that we're trying to get it passed, and you were very helpful in helping us and your staff to get a letter and support in regards to that. So what do you see across the country? That's an issue for the paramedic EMT hours. I can tell you, in my department, it's like we're national registered. We've got to do our hours, watch those videos. You take those tests, and you scratch your head saying, we're never going to do this. This isn't making me a better EMT when I go out the door Mm -hmm. on on my truck. And I applaud you guys for kind of stepping up to it. I mean, what, what you see is the states kind of walked away from maintaining their authority to register and kind of just gave it to the National Registry, which sounds like some governmental resource to handle this. And yeah. it's really just a, God bless them, I'm not picking on them, but they're a private, yeah. they're a private entity. You know what I mean? It's like AAA giving you your driver's license. And I applaud you for doing what you're doing. And I think that we need to improve that system greatly. I want to go back to recruitment and retention. Recruitment for one is an issue everywhere, right? It's a lot worse in places where, as I mentioned earlier, when the market crashed in 08 and they eviscerated public employee benefits, places like Michigan that had a a hard swing at our benefits are now basically training factories for other cities. Anyone with a business head, which a lot of those people that fought against public employee benefits and our pensions and our health care and our ability to bargain, they are business people. And it's a pretty bad business model when all you're doing is certifying your cops, your firefighters, so they can go work in someone else's city. Yeah, It's a waste of money. And until you have a benefit structure that can compete, you're screwed. Because kids can count. If you're going to put them on the job and they're going to go work, you know, a 56-hour work week 
in one city, and they can hop over the state line 100 miles away and make a lot more money, get retiree health care, be able to retire earlier. Unless you can compete, you're screwed. And that's a problem. And, like, the number one issue I hear across the country is forced overtime. People can't go home. And that gets particularly dangerous with our paramedics. We know we have wall time, wait time in, in the hospitals. You know, we have the, we're dealing with the addiction epidemic where we're constantly making trips to the hospital. It's tying up our, our ambulances. You can't transfer them over to hospital care for a, an hour, two hours, three hours. You're back on the street. There's calls waiting for you. You get through your 24 hours without any sleep, and you're getting forced. And then, you know, God forbid you make a mistake pushing drugs 36 hours into you, no sleep. They're going to hang you, you know, and it's not fair. We've never been a profession where we had a struggle trying to convince people to become firefighters. We were blessed that way. We need to develop, kind of like the building trades have, is apprentice programs so we can start recruiting in high school, convince kids to come with us. A paramedic ticket's not an easy get. Is you know, uh, I'm not a medic. I got my EMTB, but which just maintaining that's a pain in the ass. <laughs> I can't imagine you know having a medic ticket. But we need to do a better job as a country. It's not our job to go find people to be firefighters and paramedics. We're getting forced into that role. We are. But it's really the employer's job to have a job that's attractive enough to bring people in. 100%. That's spot on. I, you're saying all the things that a lot of union leadership, you're, you're echoing those things or we're echoing what you say. It's the exact same things. Like, really, this is the employer's problem. However, it's become our problem because they've beat it up. Our recruitment and retention committee in the state of Michigan, they're working every day. They're doing those things. They started uh, MPFFUcareers.org where they're adding everybody's job postings, how to become a firefighter. We're doing that because we went so far the other direction during you know, the Great Recession when they just devastated us that you know, we're the one having to pick up the slack for them. It's not how it should be. I'll tell you what, like, you know, we're seeing it in places like more out west right now, it's manifesting. But in the realm of fire-based EMS versus private sector, private sector was always a threat. We're seeing the, the goes in, this goes out as don't add up as good anymore. No. And it's not as profitable. Those private sector ambulance companies are walking away from the 911 response contracts. In some cases, basically forced on our throats, even though in, in some departments are not really built or ready for it. But the bottom line, the reason that's happening is politicians know if people call 911 and no one comes, that's a problem for them. Yep. As much as it trickles into a problem for us, we're tying up companies, waiting for him. You know, we're going on medical calls now where we're waiting with cancer patients for an hour. We're tying up a truck or an engine yeah. for an hour and a half or whatever, waiting for an ambulance to be able to just take a cancer patient. Knowing full well, like, absent putting a little oxygen on it, if that's going to help them. We can't do anything from but hold their hand. And, you know, we're losing a company in service that trickles right into when we catch a flick. That's another, you know, two minutes for the second line to get run. Another, you know three minutes for the next truck to get in there and get the rear of the building. All those things trickle into safety for us. Yeah, and it's a never-ending cascading problem when, you know, when you're talking about recruitment and retention or the lack of people applying for our jobs. And 
it's good that we're all on the same page and working towards trying to make get some solutions. But ultimately, it comes back to us being good partners and making sure that we're showing up to the table and we're bargaining for the next generation too and saying, hey, we need yeah. these pensions. 100%. We need these health care. There is value in having a pension no matter how small it is. That's part of the PFAS yeah. fight is like, yeah. I've been wearing Bunker Gear now for 20, actually 29 years, my service time. Like, odds are whatever exposures I've had, probably going <laughs> to manifest at some point, right? But some kid that just graduated high school right now that's taking a test, maybe we get a shot at by the time we issue them bunker gear, it won't be loaded with carcinogens. That'll be a pretty good start. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I want to talk about that gear the way we talk about three-quarter boots and red ball gloves. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it seems like a simple puzzle to solve. But it's, it's a little more complicated than it looks. And at the end of the day, because of a lack of an alternative, got to basically wrap themselves in what every scientific study, except for the ones paid for by the chemical companies <laughs> that got legal exposure here, says is bad for you. And it pains me that, like, hey, you know, you got to hire new recruits. So going to take some kid and hand him a set of bunker gear, usually two sets, and tell him wear them until we tell you something different. That's a crisis. That, yeah. That's like saying we're just going to give you a little bit of poison until we figure it out. And microdosing poison for yeah. 29 years. Replacing the bunker gear is the challenge, right? I mean, it's, it's roughly four grand for a set of gear. You multiply that across the board, it's a heavy hit. You know, we're talking about trying to negotiate with the city over staffing and, yeah. and retiree health care and whacking them with coming up with four grand a head times two across the country is a big hit. So we're working in Congress to get some relief on that and build like the next generation of PPE. You mentioned three-quarter boots, and you and I have talked about it in the past. Like, what the industry has done is tried to build a model that would withstand a flashover. But it doesn't. And if anything, we don't feel the high levels of heat because we have good protection until it's almost too late. It narrows our time to actually get out of the way. And like I was taught when I came on, because we didn't wear hoods, we started wearing hoods for cancer purposes in Boston, not to protect your ears. Because we were taught, and I've learned, that when my ears stop burning, I don't need to be told twice, I got to get out of the way. And heat puts you where it wants you, whether it's out a window, down a stairwell, and unfortunately sometimes in the corner. But getting burned a little is the solution to not getting burned a lot. If we can't successfully save somebody when our ears are burning, if we haven't found them yet, they're already gone by the time we're going to try to survive what our bunker gear would take us into. That's right. And they, they lie at the risk-benefit analysis, right? So get rid of this bunker gear is the, the top priority. But I think rethinking what best suits us is a top priority as well. We need to rethink how we're doing business when it comes to PPE. In Boston, we didn't wear pants for about 10 years. You didn't have to. It was, it was voluntary. It wasn't the end of the world. You know, we weren't all going to die because we didn't have bunker pants. Not how it works. Matter of fact, in the 70s in Boston, they pulled the, the fire coats. They had the rubber coats. A guy got burnt in the rubber coats, so they pulled them. And they didn't replace them for about two years. They wore dungaree coats and Irish knit sweaters. They just didn't put themselves in spots where they were going to burn it. They didn't take stupid risk. And I say stupid like I don't mean it that way. 
I've had, you know, sometimes you got to take a shot. You know what I mean? You hit that stairwell, line's on the way, but it ain't here yet. But the stairs are burning. Can you get around it? Do you want to take the shot? More often than not, we try, right? I've been there. Like, you know, I always say, you guys got to bear with me here. The difference between having balls and being an asshole is the exact difference between your balls and your asshole. <laughs> it's about this much from taping, taking stupid risk and, do, and, and being a hero, basically. Right. You know? The outcome sometimes defines it, not right. the actions. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, like, it's, it's a fine line sometimes, you know? I've been around the fire department my whole life. My homie was on the job. I went to the DOD Fire Academy in 94, went to Boston Fire Academy in 97. You know, and I'm a, I'm a Sparky-type kid, you know what I mean? Like, I'm into the job. And we had a, we had a fire down, down the south end, first dude receiving calls, middle of the night, occupied building. What we weren't told when we got there was that the kids that were, you know, we, we report to people in the building all that, were all across the street. As you expect, we extended ourselves. The real crystallization for me after that fire, because we took some risk, was if we can confirm everybody's out there. You can't do that every building fire. I mean, you go into an apartment with 20 apartments, just because someone says everybody's out, you know, that, that's not the answer. This right here, everybody was out. It was actually a single-family, three-story brick. On the truck, first do, people trap. That's where that little spot comes in, right? If everyone's out, man, as much as it pains me to say it, like I always said, you know, I'm on a truck, engine minute speed bumps in the hallway, blah, 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 screw you guys. Bull Heaney, who was an old Korean War Marine, that was on Engine 7 in my house, known my whole life, said to me when I come on the job, don't get ahead of your water, kid. That's all I got for you. Don't get ahead of your water. Mm. So if you stop and just think about the old school logic, right? If everyone, we know everyone's across the street. Don't take risk that you don't have to. Yeah, risk a lot to save a lot. Risk a little, save a little, right? You know, I think we need to have more exposure to heat. People call me crazy, right? <laughs> you know, it's counterculture, you know, and... It's because I know what it's like to burn my ears, and it's, been, it's proven to be a good thing for me in my history and my career. If we're burning, the odds that we're saving somebody become really, really nil. Yeah. It's possible. It's not impossible. It's possible. But the odds, the risk versus reward goes astronomical. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where we, we got to find that medium, you know? As always... Appreciate everything you're doing and how you're, you're doing. You're doing a great job, Manny. Yeah, thank you. You know, and this th- this is professionally done. You guys are running a class state org out there, and you know what? I love how you know you got Terry, that's a, um, a sage veteran that is a good measured leader. I love I love his, his how he weighs into issues, and you guys are doing what state orgs need to be doing, which is focused in on the state house. How do we improve the lives of our members? through action at the state house. We really appreciate all the support we get from the international Mark Sanders, our DVP, all the different departments. We're we're utilizing them a lot. I'm sure you may see some things come across your office. So, you know, whether it be the, you know, the GIS studies or the MFAs, we're out there, we're using them and we appreciate all the work that our DVP and and you and and Frank do for us. So we appreciate it. Frank is doing a great job. He, He just flew in, took a red eye last night because he presented the medal out in California for one of our brothers that was killed in a helicopter crash. Oh, man. So he, he flew out to Cali, presented the medal to the family, and then jumped on a red eye and got back here for this morning. Very nice. Dang. Well, yeah. 
Hey, well, thank you again. We appreciate it. And um, I know you got to get to general session. Yeah. yeah. So hold you back. Good job, man. Keep it up. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you to Ed Kelly for joining us on the MPFFU podcast. It was truly an honor. MPFFU members, please join us for a rally at the Capitol on September 14, 2023, as we fight to improve our bargaining rights and increase our ability to train more paramedics. We need your help, so please join us in Lansing on September 14. To register, scan the QR code on the screen now or see the link in the episode description. Please email us your feedback and tell us what you think about this show or send us ideas for future episodes to mpffupodcast at gmail.com. Follow the MPFFU Instagram account at m.p.f.f.u. And finally, please subscribe, like, and share all content on the Michigan Professional Firefighters Union YouTube channel. Have a great day.